You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for college, for a house, and for retirement. And now that you're on your own, it's time to put yourself first. Is your money buying you the life that you want? If you're not sure, learn more by scheduling a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. Be there. If your kid is in a play, if they're playing a saxophone, you just have to show up. As much as you hate it, as much as you hate listening to the middle school band, as much as you hate seeing that play, you have to be there for them because that shows your child that you value them more than anything else, more than your time. And it resonates with them, trust me. Just be there for your child. Hey, everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining us today on Her Money. Mother's Day is just a few days away, so let this be your final reminder. If you haven't sent the card, if you haven't sent the flowers, you want to get on that right away. I don't know if I've shared this with all of you, but my son, Jake, is a very happy human being. He is living the dream. He works for a company called Wave TV that about a year ago launched a podcast called New Heights featuring two brothers who happen to both play football in the NFL. Travis Kelsey is a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Jason Kelsey is a center for the Philadelphia Eagles right here in my new home. The podcast was a smash hit, top of the Apple charts from the moment that it launched. And that was before Jason and Travis faced off in the Super Bowl. And today, working on New Heights occupies most of Jake's time. He handles all the social media. I've been fortunate enough to hear great, great stories all about it. But it makes you wonder about the story behind the story. Who raised these guys? Who by all accounts, including my sons, are not just amazing athletes, but really great guys. Brothers who started this podcast in part, they just wanted to have a reason and a dedicated time to talk to each other for a few hours a week. Who raised them to be these people? And so in celebration of Mother's Day, we are talking to the mom of these two amazing men. Donna Kelsey is actually the very first mom to have two sons square off against one another in the Super Bowl. And if you're wondering where the money is in this episode of Her Money, it is coming. Donna is also a retired banker, and so we are going to dig in. Donna, welcome to the show. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you so much, Jean. I really appreciate it. I'd love to know a little bit about your backstory. I know you worked in banking for four decades, and your work also really provided a lot of inroads into housing for many low-income people. But let's go back. Let's go back a bit to growing up in Cleveland. What was your childhood like? I know it wasn't easy. Yeah, my mother passed when I was 12. And so I had the responsibility of taking care of some things at a young age that I probably not everybody has to do. My grandparents were there, so that helped a little bit. And then my father finally remarried, and she was it, was, it was like Mary Poppins came into my life. So she was a great mom, teacher, a wonderful human being, and really helped my brother and I get through everything. So it was pretty cool. Went to, you know, was at a public school in Orange. I, I thought that it was important for my kids to go to a public school just because of the diversity and to try to see all different shades of life and with religion and race and social economic abilities, you see it all in the public school system and you make your decision early on what type of a human being you're going to be. 
your stepmother. I, I love the description of Mary Poppins because we we hear such things about stepmothers, often not in the best light. And I know that she really had not just an impact on, on raising you, but in who you were able to become in the world of, of sports and in getting an education. Talk about the impact that that had on your life and, and, and how that shaped you as a parent. Right. My dad, he's a little older and was, uh, you know, I don't want to call him a chauvinist, but he just felt that women were to be mothers and wives. But my mom went to school, got a college education, and she felt strongly about that, even though my dad thought that that was worthless for me to go and do. So she kind of convinced him that that's the only way I was going to get a college graduate husband. So that's how I ended up going. But she knew that both my brother and I had the ability to be able to, you know, make more and strive for greater things. And she let us dream big. And that was the most important thing. So I listened to the interview that you gave on the New Heights podcast and also, you know, did my homework and, and read what I could about you before we sat down to talk. He was difficult, your dad. I mean, it, it was striking to me. He named you Donna and your brother Don after him. He clearly had lines in which he thought you were going to live. For sure. That was definitely the case. Um you know, felt that women should not be in sports, and I fought that. I did a lot of running in track and a little bit of basketball, a little bit of baseball, but I always had to do it. My mother knew where I was, and she supported it, but he kind of didn't understand what I was doing because at that point there wasn't any Title IX. It's like, why are you doing this? And it's just for the sheer joy of competing. So, you know, it was it was kind of rough, but I know he loved me. He tried to do as much as he could for me. And when finally push came to shove, he allowed me to go to college, paid for it. And I think he warmed up to me being a businesswoman and embraced it at the end. What do you think sports do for us as children, but also as grown-ups? I'm a very late bloomer. As an athlete, I was always the last picked for all the teams in middle school and probably in high school and became a runner later in life. And, you know, I'm not going to win any races, but I've finished a number of them and that feels really good. Oh, that's awesome. I think that if you compete against yourself in whatever you do, you know, any sport, music, art, ballet, dance, whatever you can do, you need to be able to push yourself and to go to extremes that you never thought you could so that you can find out who you really are. I just think it's so important to bring in sports or music or dance or, or something, whatever your child feels that they want to do in life, give them a shot at it if you can financially and see if they can get better. I know it's hard for a lot of kids to sit on the bench or to not play or whatever, but it's so important that the parents do not drive that, that the kids themselves go up to the coach and say, what do I have to do to get better? What do I have to do in order to play more? And it has to be driven by them. And I think if you join a team, you have to finish out the season because they depend on you. But sometimes it's better to get into a different league or a different coach or whatever, because not always do the personalities match when you're matched up with a coach. So try something different. Try another sport. You know, there's lots out there right now that wasn't available 30 years ago. So it's a wonderful thing. And there's a lot of things out there. Just support your child and whatever they show an interest in and you know, you can't go wrong because that's what they'll love to do and they'll get better at it. Two key parenting lessons that you hit on in that last answer, and I want to dig into them just a little bit because I think that they were very important when it came to raising your boys. But I've got a boy and a girl, and I think they're just universal lessons. We live in this era of helicopter parenting where there are parents who think it's okay to pick up the phone and call a teacher or call a child's employer or, you know, insert themselves in the equation to make things 
to make an uncomfortable situation better for a child. You clearly do not believe that. Where'd that come from in you? And how did you get yourself to stick to your guns when the boys were benched? You know, when they started hockey, that was the most difficult because they didn't have the skating skills that a lot of the other kids had because they started a little bit later than most of them. So maybe they didn't get as much ice time. And it was surely because, you know, they just couldn't get to the puck or whatever. And you just, or in soccer, there were a lot of kids that were much better at soccer than they were because they started maybe a little later than they did. And it's just by watching what was happening and what the other parents were doing and interacting with the coach and seeing how the coach was reacting to it and what would happen the next week which was usually they didn't play the kids at all. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that are out there. They're very arrogant and very, it's going to be my way or the highway. And sometimes that's just the way it is. And I try to instill in my children to find out, not insincerely, but how do you build a network of people that find you valuable? In other words, you need to find out what is important to that coach you know, is it to be on time? Is it to be the first one there? Is it picking up the bats afterwards? Whatever you need to do, give that extra effort that nobody else is giving. That's what will endear you to them, and they will play you. They will make sure that you get in. And if you're the one that's doing those things and making the extra effort, it will eventually happen. And if that person is not a coach but an employer... These are the kind of things that are going to get you mentored and sponsored and promoted. Most CEOs in this country are C students, but they have a wonderful ability to be able to relate to people. And if you can be a good person and have a great personality, not everybody can have that, but and be able to relate to people, you've got it made in business. You really do. The other thing that you said that you did not allow was your kids to quit in the middle of a season. Right. And I think that is equally important. At what point did you make that decision and why do you think it's such a key message? Well, there was one particular instance where we were on a baseball team and there was another child whose father was the coach. And that particular father would listen to his son and his son would tell my son that he was the one, the reason why we lost every single time. And that wasn't the case. It's a team sport, but every game he was crying. You know, it's terrible to see your children crying after every single game. But I said, we have to stick it out. You signed up for the season. This is important to get through. And then next season, when you choose to go to another team or whatever, you can do that. But right now, you know, this is the decision you made. This is the team that you're on, and you have to make the best of it at this point. Was it Travis or Jason? It was Travis, yeah. Did he fight you on it? Not really. He understood, because we told them at the beginning of every single season, no matter what sport they were playing, this is for the duration. You cannot change or move. So it worked out okay. Another thing that I know you've had to deal with simply because your kids played so many sports growing up and and have continued to is is disappointment and helping them deal with disappointment. Jason has talked about the fact that he didn't get a scholarship to play at a D1 school coming out of high school, but I'm sure that's just one of so many instances. Yeah. It is a difficult conversation, but I asked him, I said, do you think you can play with these kids? Because he was on an East-West team. He played against some of the kids in his state. He was asked to go to those showcases. And I asked his coaches, first of all, if he was good enough, and everybody said yes. And so I asked him, I said, do you believe that you can play against this caliber of individual. And he says, yes, I know, Mom, absolutely. I said, okay, find a college within the state, and I will pay your tuition this year, and hopefully you can win a scholarship in a year. 
And that's exactly what he did. So I think a lot of it is believing in the ability of your children. You do have to do your homework. You do have to ask other people that are in the know, you know, that have been with other children and to be able to identify if they can compete at that higher level. And if they agree with you, then I think it's basically you're gambling on your kid that they're going to be able to do it. But which is always a good gamble, I think, right? Or or much of the time, if if you believe that they can do it. But when they're down, right? After the Super Bowl, when Jason was down, after this scholarship in the first year didn't come through, after a particularly difficult loss, whether it was earlier in their life or, or during their NFL season, how do you help them get out of bed the next day? Oh, uh, wow. I don't think I ever really had to say anything except... You did everything you could. You tried your hardest. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no walk of shame when you lose. It's just learn from it. Learn whatever you can. Learn that maybe you have a skill that needs to be honed a little better. Maybe you need to practice a little more. But on a team sport, it's not just you. It's everybody. They were on a high school team where they didn't win a lot of games. So no matter what the sport, they weren't state champions. They might have been the best child on their team and the best maybe in their neighborhood. But did that relate to the state and national? You just never really know until you start getting the letters that come in that say that we want your child, you know, to come to this college and that college. And and they have to need your skills, too. A lot of it is luck. It has nothing to do with you having the ability. It's do they need your position on their team or do they have somebody already? So you just have to keep looking and trying for the best shot that you can. Resilience, yeah. Yeah, and flexibility. Yeah, resilience, flexibility. Both of them did not end up playing what they went into college with. Jason was a linebacker for defense. They moved him to center because that's what they needed. And Travis was a quarterback. They didn't need a quarterback. They had enough of them. So they asked him to be tight end. And you have to be able to make that decision and, you know, go with it and trust in the people that are above you that know what your skill set is. And hopefully that'll work. But there is a lot of luck involved. Being at the right place at the right time with the right coach. University of Cincinnati was never a football team. But they just happened to be there at the five or six years with Brian Kelly and Butch Jones and Rick D'Antonio so that they were able to build unreal teams and go to bowl games and everything else. A lot of talent on those teams. But so important, too. You know, this is what happens in companies, in businesses across the country all the time. It's happened at Her Money, right? We had one employee leave. We needed somebody else to step in and produce this podcast. And my colleague, Catherine, had never done it before. But she stepped in and she said, I'll do it. We looked at who we had. And she was flexible enough to roll with it. And sometimes I think you're not other people see skills in you that you don't see in yourself, and you have to listen to that. Yeah, that's true. Not only that, but, you know, there's growth. You get comfortable with the day in and day out of what you're doing every single day. And if you can just stretch a little bit and move into different areas, a whole different world opens up for you. So I agree with that. I want to dig into some of the topics that we talk about on this show all the time. Money and how you handle it when a lot of it comes your way at once. Also, navigating through divorce. I've been there. I know you've been there as well. But we are going to take a very quick break. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for years for college, and now that the kids are finally out of the house, it is time to put yourself First, it's time you took a look at all of your financial plans to see what you might need to change and how you can save and invest a little differently now that your life and your finances have found a little more freedom. That's why it's beyond time to schedule a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. 
And we are back with Donna Kelsey, proud mom of two Super Bowl stars, Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey, also stars of the New Heights podcast. According to a working paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research, 16% of NFL players have filed for bankruptcy within 12 years of retiring. A Sports Illustrated article reports that 78% of NFL players and 60% of NBA players, so we're not blaming it all on football, face serious financial hardships after retirement. Since this is a money show and you spent 40 years in finance, I got to ask, what happens? What do you think it is that happens? I think it's more money than they've ever seen and they think it's going to last forever. They get this huge paycheck and they don't realize what things cost at the level they want to live, which is houses, cars. I mean, you only need one car. You only need one place to live, and you really only need one piece of jewelry. (laughs) But they insist on just everything. And I know Travis, my youngest, he almost went bankrupt his first year after I told him, you know, put a third of it away, spend a third, and then invest the other third. He just didn't get that. He was just having too much fun. But he got it together. He was very fortunate of getting some endorsements and things like that. But they live on a paycheck and they get paid per game. And once the games are over, they don't get paid anymore unless they have endorsements or they're lucky enough to get commercials or whatever or other outside endeavors. And they just don't understand the value of money. They don't understand the difference between needs and wants. And there's nothing wrong with buying the nicest car that's out there. But one of the biggest problems is a lot of athletes come from very, very large families, and they want to give to their mothers, their aunts, their cousins, their friends. You know, they just are very, very grateful of where they are. They want to invest in their friends, you know, bar. They want to do this. So a lot of it is outside of them. It's not so much them. I think there was one particular football player that had 80 people on his payroll, $100,000 a year he would give to his friends, family, and relatives. So that's a lot of it. Their family is so devastated that they feel they have to support everyone. And so that's the biggest issue, is being able to give permission to say no. How have you done that for your boys? I mean, I did a little internet research. It looks like both have earned upwards of $60 million from the NFL. How have you shielded them and their futures from this sort of failure? I can tell you this. I have told them about the one-third, one-third, one-third forever. But I have to admit that the NFL has really better advisors than I could ever be, all right? They have fantastic financial advisors, and that's all I did was tell them, get a good financial advisor. Find somebody that can invest your money unless you've got a degree in, you know, investing. I would not do it yourself. They know what to do. They know what to look for, and it's word of mouth, really, but you do need to have somebody that's there paying attention to what you're doing and how much you're spending to say, hey, look, you know, knock it off, or you're getting close to your limits right now. But you have to have a budget. The one-third, 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 is that how you lived your life? Is that, are those sort of the tenants that you paid attention to? Well, probably later on in life. When you start out early in life, you don't live like that. You live and you spend what you make, and that's just the way it is because you don't have the luxury Renting is very expensive, and it used to be one, you know, 30% of your income. It's not anymore. It's way over half of your income goes to housing. And so it's difficult, especially when you throw kids in there, to be able to make ends meet. And it's just hard. And sports, I mean, having boys that are interested in sports is difficult. The expense of equipment, I swear I have a, a plaque that's at Dick's with my name on it. 
but why can't they all wear the same cleats? No, they have to have baseball cleats, they have to have soccer cleats, they have to have football cleats. So it's that. It's putting them in the, like when Travis decided to stop playing hockey, I was so thrilled. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have to buy the pads and the skates. I mean, skates are like two, $300. And I'm like, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm like, go out and buy the most expensive pair of Jordans you can find because it was still cheaper than what I had to put on Jason every year for hockey. You described your life with the kids when they were playing all these sports that you and your ex-husband, Ed, tag-teamed it. That You would divide and conquer. One would take Travis, one would take Jason. You'd go to all these sports that were so far flung from your home and in Cleveland. Did that amount of parenting take a toll on your marriage? You know, I would say maybe it did, but sometimes you just grow apart. Somebody becomes a different person over time, grows a little bit more than the other one does. And I think that, you know, your kids are the ones that are holding you together, the glue that are holding you together. And once the children are out of the house, you're just like, okay, that was the whole thing. And maybe there wasn't anything else. So, but it was worth it for both of us. We're friends now. We're just two different people. And my career took off and I grew very quickly over the years. And I was just a different person than I was when I married him. That's all there is to it. You know, listening to you, I, I think I tell very much the same story. You were married for 24, 25 years. I was married for 17 the first time. And sometimes our careers do take us in places where we didn't expect them to take us and change us in ways we didn't expect to change. But by all accounts, you and Ed have a very good divorce. What's the secret to that? You know, I think you just have to pick your battles, number one. I, you know, I just go and wherever he is, he's usually with my children. So I focus on them and just have the best time that I can possibly have because we don't have very many opportunities where we're all together at the same time, and I don't want to mess it up. So I might zip my lip a little bit more. I might, you know, not make any comments about old, you know, issues and things like that. We both know each other very, very well, and we just try and overlook things the best that we can and move forward because we know that if we don't, Somebody's not coming to Thanksgiving next year, and I don't want that to happen. That is very, very sage advice. <laughs> Before I, I'm just, I'm just taking it all in, Donna, because I think that is like the best advice. As a woman in finance, you had to deal with the issues of work-life balance that women are still struggling with to this day. How did you handle that? Well, first off, I mean, you're hoping that you have a partner that will help at home. That doesn't happen for a lot of women. The other thing is, is when you're at work, and I should have mentioned this before, a lot of younger women would come up to me and say, what is there one thing I can do so that I can get ahead? And I don't think a lot of women, they think if they just work hard, they'll get promoted, but you don't get anything unless you ask for it. So you have to ask, okay, to get ahead. But in helping to get through the day, you just have to be organized. That's all it is. You have to have a calendar. You have to know where everybody's got to be, and you can't just wing it. You, it's another job, unfortunately. And it lands on the female a lot of times because they're the social person nine times out of ten. They're the ones that are getting everybody together in the family, making sure that, you know, everybody's where they're supposed to be, you know, handling all the doctor's appointments. It just falls on us. I don't know if it's because some of us do a better job than others, but it's a lot. Yeah. We got to talk about the game. We got to talk about the game and what happened after. You know, everybody, I think, knows that Jason and Travis had a pretty serious sibling rivalry growing up. It, oh, yeah. it seems to have, oh, yeah, <laughs> it seems to have maybe mellowed a little bit. I listen to them giving each other a little bit of ripping on New Heights. But, but how did you handle going into the Super Bowl and being Switzerland in your jersey that was half Chiefs and half Eagles? 
Yeah, well, that started a long time ago. Because they play in different conferences, it didn't happen all of a sudden. They only play each other every four years. So the first time it was with Philadelphia, and Travis wasn't playing that year because he had a knee injury. So his first year, he didn't play a lot. So that time, he was just there, but he wasn't playing. The next four years was in Kansas City. They go back and forth between who's going to be playing where. And that time, Travis had a jersey made for me, which was Chiefs on the front, Eagles on the back. And so I wore it then. And Jason was a little ticked off when he saw me coming towards him because all he could see was 87 on the front. And I had to quickly turn around. (laughs) He's like, well, at least the name's on the right number. (laughs) So that was funny. (laughs) How did you handle the fact that they were competing against each other as children, but also in the biggest stage on earth? Yeah, it was more of the same. It was every day was a competition between the two of them. If it wasn't running to the table to see who could get there first, who could get in the shotgun in the car in the front seat, who could get upstairs and take their shower first, who was in the pool the first at a hotel, which bed they were going to sleep in. It just was never ending. They constantly, constantly competed against each other with cards or chores or anything They always had to get done faster, quicker, better. And Travis was always, because he was two years younger, was always trying to catch up to his brother. And he finally did when he ended up being a little bit taller than him. When he became a sophomore, he was taller than Jason was at a senior. So that's when they stopped fighting. It was equal. They were equal to each other at that point. A lot of families have these sibling rivalries that that just go on well into adulthood you managed to raise two men who clearly love each other how did you do that my father was an only child and my mother was an only child so i had no cousins and it's like when your brother is your only family besides your parents you're with them constantly No matter what, on vacations and everything else, there's nobody else around. So you have to play with them. You have to get along with them. They both know each other's faults, no doubt about it. And they know each other very, very well. And they'll bring stuff up. But they can say things about their brother, but no one else can. And Jason always came to Travis's defense at school if he had trouble or anything, and that's what a big brother is supposed to do, you know, watch out for Trav. You know, it's things like that that you tell your kids, you will be the only ones alive after your parents are gone, so it's going to be your only family. So, you know, be close, stay close. My father, he called it rule number 537. You are all each other has, and so you better really, really respect that. This has been such an incredible year for you. I mean, in many ways, I think you have been America's mother. So as America's mother on Mother's Day, what's your number one piece of parenting advice? What's the nugget that you want all of our listeners to take away? I think, you know, it's just be there. If your kid is in a play, if they're playing a saxophone, if they're in a god-awful track meet, which goes on all day, and they're only in one category or one race or anything like that. You just have to show up. As much as you hate it, as much as you hate listening to the middle school band, as much as you hate seeing that play, you have to be there for them because that shows your child that you value them more than anything else, more than your time. And It resonates with them. Trust me. Just be there for your child. Donna Kelsey, happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thanks a lot, Jean. Absolutely. Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. 
So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And we are back for our mailbag. My daughter, Julia, is in the studio with me. Julia, do you have anything you want to say to me today? I guess I should say Happy Mother's Day, Mom, to you, (laughs) Grandma, who's probably listening, all the other mom figures who are listening. Happy Mother's Day. We're not easy to deal with, so thanks for doing that. You are welcome. I, I Just coming out of that Donna-Kelsey conversation, I think you and Jake were easier to deal with than Travis and Jason. You didn't throw each other across the room. Yeah, no, just a few th- hairbrushes. So you may just be being nice, but no, I'll I mean, take I, it. I noticed a couple dings in the walls, but I, I you know, <laughs> nothing, nothing we, we couldn't fix. Sure. We've got questions today. You want to dive in? Yeah, let's get to it. Our first question today comes to us from Megan. She writes, What are your tips for saving for your child? I have a newborn who's 10 days old. Is the 529 college saving plan still recommended? Part of me feels like in this day, as much as I want her to go to college, there are so many things she can do without a degree. And would the 529 only be for college? What happens if she doesn't go? Looking for recommendations on this or another suggested savings option. Well, first of all, Megan, I can't believe you're thinking about this 10 days after you had a baby. 10 days. My hormones were like still wildly out of control 10 days after I had you, Julia. I don't think I was thinking about anything other than, oh, my God, she will not breastfeed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it is a really good question because right now college is – so expensive. We know that the average tuition for a private school is a little over $38,000 a year. That is not even counting room and board and beer and pizza. And the average for an in-state public school is a little over $10,000 a year. And First of all, you have to think about the fact, Megan, that this is not your only goal. I know it feels like your only goal because you're not sleeping. But you also have to put your retirement into the picture. And there is financial aid for college. There is no financial aid for retirement. So retirement really has to come first. And so if you are not funding your 401k, if you're not funding an IRA, then I want you to put this off to the side for a second and make sure that you're doing that. But let's just assume you are. 529s are absolutely the best college savings vehicle. Julia, that's how how I put you through school. Our listeners know that uh, when Dad and I got divorced, I paid for half a college and he paid for half a college, and I had nothing at that point saved for college, so I just started stashing money away in a 529, and it was incredibly helpful. The New York savings plan is a really good one, but there are many, many good ones around the country, and the reason that I like 529s is because you can set up automatic contributions. The money goes in. Sometimes you get a tax deduction on your state tax return for making contributions we did in New York. The money grows tax-free, and when you pull it out and you use it for educational expenses, what they call qualified educational expenses, then you don't have to pay any taxes on it. You can just pay it right to the school. It's really helpful. It is also very flexible. So I want to deal with your question about what if she doesn't go to college. Or let's say she is a genius and she gets a full ride, right? That would be amazing. What happens to the money that you've stashed away then? What are you saying, Joyce? I was just going to say, amen. She's a genius. She's a genius. She's a brainiac. But, you know, maybe she decides that she wants to get an apprenticeship instead. And you've worked really hard to stash away all of this money. What happens? If you have another child, and I know you're not even thinking (laughs) about that right now, Megan. If you have another kid, you can use the money for that child. You can pass it along to another sibling. You can pass it along to a cousin. You can use it yourself if you decide that you want to go back to school. You can also use it for education That is not college. You can use it for trade schools. You can use it for private high school in many cases or or other private secondary schools. And, And this is 
the other really nice wrinkle that is a result of a new law called Secure 2.0, which is a new retirement law. You can, starting next year, roll up to $35,000 in unused 529 money into a Roth IRA, and you can do it without penalty. Otherwise, money in a 529 that's not used for educational expenses, you're subject to a 10% penalty on any earnings on that money if you pull it out and you use it for something else. But that $35,000, that is a really big deal. So I would keep that in mind as you start funding this account, which you should do with just automatic contributions over time. And the other thing to do is tell all the grandparents that you have this account and aunts and uncles and cousins and anybody who ever asks you, what can I get your kid for his birthday? You say, "Ah, my child would love a contribution to the 529 account. Julia's shaking her head. Get the child something small and make a contribution to the 529. That would be my suggestion because think about all those birthday presents that you got through the years and what happened to them. Yeah, no, 100%. I hear you. Okay. So that's what I would do. But I have a question. Yes. Let's say, like, we say, Megan, pause. Like, we have 18 years, right, before your 10-day-old kid goes to college, potentially, what type of savings account should she open for her kid when she's 10 years old? Or I don't know, like, what if her kid wants to go to a specialty summer camp in middle school? Like, is there a savings account that she should open for earlier in this kid's life? It's a good question, and probably not. When we look at how we save for particular goals, we do it with our tax benefits in mind. And so there's kind of a hierarchy of how you fund particular goals. The reason that we put money into a 401k before we do anything else is because sometimes there are matching dollars. That's free money from your employer. You want to get that free money. So that goes first. They're also really good tax advantages. You get a tax deduction for putting money in a 401k unless it's a Roth 401k. Then we look at other accounts that have tax advantages. So that would be 529 accounts or health savings accounts. Beyond that, we look at accounts that don't have tax advantages. And when you're a new parent, You've got so many expenses. Should you be saving for your other goals, things like vacations and summer camp and her soccer program? If you can is my answer. And a lot of times you can't. A lot of times you've got such new expenses. You're you're paying off the delivery. You're buying the crib and the stroller and all the other stuff that you have to buy. And You are thinking about how do I manage my money for my day-to-day goals. You're going through that now, right? I mean, you only earn a certain amount of money, and I know you're trying to save, but it's hard, right? So hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. So we do what we can when we can. And as summer camp or soccer gets closer for this baby, then sure, You want to think about it and you want to put it into your budget, but I certainly wouldn't stress out about it right now. All right, next question. Our next question comes from Amy. She writes, I got hired by this company through a recruiting agency. I am working for them for six months, and then they will either extend the contract or convert me to permanent. I have been hearing from the permanent employees that when you convert, you get less money. That's not going to work for me. It wouldn't work for me either, Amy. (laughs) How do I learn how to negotiate my pay before I go permanent? I should also note that this job has 100% conversion rate with this agency, so I'm pretty sure I'm getting converted, but I don't know what to do. Amy, it's a really good question that a lot of people are going through right now because so much of hiring is happening through recruiters and through agencies. I would not start negotiating until they make you an offer. I think even though I am sure you're doing a great job and I'm sure they are going to want to keep you because who wouldn't, right? 
I wouldn't jump the gun on that. I think it's a little presumptuous. What I would do is start to get my ducks in a row and start to figure out what a permanent offer looks like. And I can tell you, because I'm an employer, what their argument may be back to you. They may say there is a cost to bringing you on as an employee, and it's about 25 to 30 percent of your salary to cover you for things like benefits, for things like the 401k with the matching dollars that Julia and I were talking about, and things like your health insurance, which even though you may be asked to contribute to it, is a really big expense for employers. That's what they're going to say. And you should definitely take that into account as well as the PTO that you're now going to get and any other benefits that they offer you. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't negotiate. Of course you should negotiate. You should look at what you might get paid to do this job at other companies, and you should ask for more money, and you should do it unapologetically. It's not easy to step up and ask for more money, but you want to start keeping a file of all the good things that you've done for this company, particularly instances where you've either made them money or saved them money or saved them time, and lay them out for your employer along with your enthusiasm about how much you love being here and all the good things that you plan on doing for the company in the future. They may or may not say yes. If they say no, then you can look around for another job while you have this job. But you should also ask for an opportunity to revisit this conversation three to six months down the road. Jules, I know you've done this, right? You've negotiated. We've talked about and role-played your salary negotiations. I mean, what would you say to her? Well, part of me is just thinking you're a little old school, and this is where, like, my younger generation question may come in. But why shouldn't Amy just say, like, this is my worth up front and just be bullish? Because I'm afraid if she says it up front, they won't give her the offer. And then she won't get to the point where she is negotiating. Plus, this six months where she is getting paid more than she's expecting to get when she gets the full offer is, I'm thinking, a pretty good amount of money. Otherwise, she wouldn't have taken the job in the first place. So she should take it while she can get it. Totally. Um, so I I wouldn't necessarily start negotiating before they make her an offer. Plus, what if they say to her that she's not in the 100% rate? Like, that? <laughs> that's just sort of a kick in the teeth. Yeah. Not that they would do that, Amy, but I wouldn't jump the gun on this. But you could be right. I mean, I, I, what in your head, if she were to go ahead and ask for a permanent spot and more money up front, what's the upside and what's the downside? The upside is they know she wants to be there. It's always easier to just keep someone internally, right? There's an open role. You don't want to have to go through the recruiting agency again. The downside, even if they say no, she's already in contract to be there for X amount of time. So she has a job and she'll have job security to look while she's still running this contract there. So I don't really see it as a downside. I just see it as transparency. The one thing, I think you have a good point. The one thing that I would do is go back to the recruiter Mm -hmm. because the recruiter gets paid when she stays. Right. And so I would go back to the recruiter and I would say to that recruiter, I am hearing that when people are made permanent, they are paid less money. Can you work on that for me? That may be a good way to deal with the problem without putting herself on the front lines. I also think, and maybe I'm going a little off the cusp with this, but like when you and I talk about For example, my one year at my company is coming up, right? And we talk about how do I go to them with this is the number they normally bring them, but I think I am worth way more than that number. Like, should she bring inflation up? Should she bring, like, what are those things that she should bring to the table of monetary value rather than just the grocery list of 
I've done this, I've done that. Like, I'm sure Amy's crushing it, right? Like, Amy sounds like she's killing it, but what are those other things? Inflation this year? It's crazy, right? Yes, yes. If you don't bring inflation up in a salary negotiation this year, I think um, I think that you're missing the boat. We gave inflation adjustments at her money separate from raises because inflation – we knew was uh, really hard on our, particularly our younger employees this year. Yeah. So good points. If you have any other money-related questions, we'd love to hear from you. Just send them to us. Email us at mailbag at hermoney.com. Thanks, Jules. Thank you. And now we're going to take a quick break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We are back with your money tip of the week. One of the most important financial skills that you can build is the ability to negotiate. And I am not just talking about negotiating your salary. There's often wiggle room with negotiating your rent, your cable bill, or stuff you're buying used on websites like Facebook Marketplace. If you're hoping to score a discount, the first thing you should do is your research. Take a look at competitor prices and use that dollar amount or 10 to 20 percent less as your negotiation goal. Then, once you're haggling with the seller or with the customer service rep, you can say something like, saw that other company has offers of X or Y per month. I'd like to be paying the same. The worst thing they can say is no, and you haven't lost out on anything. For more strategies on how to save, visit hermoney.com. Thanks for joining me today on Her Money, and thank you so much to Donna Kelsey for joining us on this very special Mother's Day episode. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We would like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon. 